Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Fenway Rundown, the premier podcast for all things Boston Red Sox. No people harp on the last place thing, but essentially what's important is the record. If the Red Sox want people to start thinking the ownership cares, then maybe they should talk. This is the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live. Here are your hosts, Chris Cotillo and Sean McAdam. It's a Friday morning slash afternoon version of the Fenway Rundown. I'm Chris Cotillo. I never get up early, so I think this is my morning. Sean McAdams back from the GM meetings, jet lagged. And we'll start, Sean, as always, by telling our wonderful listeners about our Insider Text program. Yeah, we had a lot of fun out in Scottsdale with that, Chris, the Fenway Rundown Insider Text program, where you can subscribe and get access to all the latest Red Sox news out of season, during season, preseason, and spring training, you have the ability to text me, to text Chris, to text Chris Smith, and get all the latest information around the Red Sox. It's easy to do. It's $4.99 a month with a 14-day trial to start with. We think you're going to like it and want to stay and subscribe. And all you have to do is text the word JOIN to 617-751-6257. That's 617-751-6257. Then all you have to do is just click the link and subscribe today. We got to a lot of questions while we were out in Scottsdale. Chris, I know you did some from back home. People seem to really enjoy it. We're having fun with it, interacting with readers and subscribers. So we hope you join us. Yeah, and we will do in the next couple of weeks, if not next week, the week after a mailbag episode of the Fenway Rundown, where we'll take questions exclusively from that program. We used to do it from Twitter, but uh, this is a better way to kind of get all the questions in one place, make sure we don't miss anything. So make sure you're involved in that. Today, we're going to wrap up the GM meeting. Sean and Chris Smith were out there for a few days, as I mentioned, um, both back here now on probably little sleep, adjusting with the time change, but that is the job we sign up for going cross country. I, I feel fine because I, I was back here uh, just reading the coverage and um, listening to Craig Breslow's daily availabilities from afar. Sean, you were there. You met with Craig Breslow as part of the media contingent on all three days, including yesterday before um, leaving Scottsdale. What were your main takeaways? I know we talked about day one on the first episode we did this week, um, but what were your main takeaways from what Craig Breslow had to say? Well, I guess not surprisingly, what I walked away thinking was that Breslow is 
already very comfortable in his new role. Uh, this, despite the fact that he hasn't had these kind of responsibilities or power before, uh, he is not new to the stage. He was talking about uh, having been to the GM meetings as a member of the Cubs front office uh, group for, I think, two of uh, the last three years. Um, so he understands how it works, but this obviously was the first time that he's the guy in charge. He's the top decision maker for the Red Sox, but he did not seem overwhelmed. He didn't seem like this is something I have to get used to. It seemed like he made that transition uh, pretty comfortably. And this is a confident guy, a guy who has been in the game either as a player or as an executive for almost 20 years. Um, so he knows the players, he knows uh, the people he's dealing with, and it seemed like, you know, they uh, started laying the groundwork for what figures to be a very busy offseason. We know that almost never is there a move of consequence coming out of the GM meetings. Um, it's where talks initiate, it's where trade discussions begin. And then they are built upon and sometimes finalized in the weeks that follow, maybe even at the winter meetings, which will be coming up in the first full week of December. But I thought Breslow was uh, a guy who um, seemed very comfortable and confident in his own ability and did not feel like this was to use the cliche everybody was using in uh, Scottsdale. He did not appear to be drinking out of a fire hose. That was the analogy Derek Falvey used, a bunch of other executives kind of chuckled and said, it's going to feel like that for him. But if it did, he didn't show it. Yeah, and I think that's what kind of came I, I came away from the intro presser with, too, is just that he has the confidence. And whether it's, uh, I guess in time, we'll figure out if it's worthwhile confidence or deserved or whatever. Um, I think. You know, the, the messaging was a little bit different. You know, when Heim Bloom came in four years ago, just talking about, I really got to get my arms around everything before I comment. I really have to get my arms around everything before I comment. There's been a little bit of that with Breslow, but also some big proclamations. Uh, and I know that we've talked about kind of ad nauseum already on this show, the needs that they have this offseason, starting pitching the big one, maybe a bullpen arm, second base, DH. There's a lot of work to do. I think the most candid thing Craig Breslow said this week, um, as you wrote, I believe, was that many teams had called on Alex Verdugo. I think on this show and on our site, we have been talking and writing about a potential Alex Verdugo trade for a lot longer than I think everybody else has. As we, we uh, you know, even before you joined, like I thought it was possible last offseason, we talked about it at the trade deadline. You know, the Red Sox were actively shopping him then under Heim Bloom. That doesn't seem to have changed. Um, and, and you feel like there's a a clear message being sent by him coming out and saying that. And just to refresh, you know, he did come out and, and say, you know, he's a guy who's on our roster. We value him. But many teams have already inquired in his availability. Yeah, he volunteered that. It was without any prompting. We did ask about, you know, how he viewed Verdugo and, uh, I, I think maybe the line of questioning may have been aimed toward, has there been any extension talks? Because as we know, Verdugo is entering the final year of club control. He'll be a free agent after 2024. Uh, he's made it clear he would prefer to stay here. He jokingly told ownership back in the spring that he was going to have a big year 
to prompt that kind of extension. He did not have, in fact, a big year. He had a very good year uh, defensively, good enough so that um, he warranted being named a finalist for a gold glove at the position. Ultimately, he did not win. Uh, Adolis Garcia of the Texas Rangers did in right field. But no one would deny that Verdugo had a very good year defensively, clearly the best he's had in a Red Sox uniform. But the offensive performance was very average. It was the definition of average. I think on a previous show, Chris, I said he had a 102 OPS plus. I gave him two points that he didn't deserve. He was exactly at 100, which means he was the very definition of average offensive player. 13 home runs, he's yet to hit more than that, despite being in a ballpark that left-handed hitters can take advantage of and hit for some power. So um, it's really hard after four years here to get a grip on who Alex Verdugo is and what he can be. But uh, I I thought there was a method to the madness of Craig Breslow volunteering that teams are calling on Verdugo. Maybe this is not that different from Alex Cora occasionally publicly challenging him, believing that that's going to get a better performance out of him. And indeed, at times, that has worked. Uh, I'm not sure about the motivation here. It's the offseason. It's not as if Verdugo can do anything between now and spring training to improve his performance other than to maintain his good conditioning, which he did last year. But it, it it seemed to be a message that was delivered with a specific purpose in mind, maybe to rattle the cage a little bit and say, hey, don't feel too comfortable here because there's a lot of teams that are interested in acquiring you, and we're not exactly telling them that that you're not available. Yeah, another theory is driving up the price by setting there being a market. Maybe they've already made the decision that they are going to trade him no matter what. Maybe the relationship with Alex Cora has soured to that point. Those are all possibilities. But no, I mean, as you said, not a a common thing that you see someone come in and and admit that. I I don't think Bloom admitted something that candidly, um, you know, on the record during his whole time here. Dombrowski obviously would, but and for Breslow to do this in week one is interesting. It it didn't... uh... It didn't line up with what Breslow said about other things. Uh, There were things he, uh, there were questions put to him that he kind of dodged a little bit saying, I think I'll keep that to myself or we'll keep that conversation between us. And I don't really want to say too much about that publicly. And yet here's this other topic where he could have just said, we expect Alex to be our right fielder. We'll see how it goes in terms of the contract. But he went out of his way to mention that teams are calling. And, of course, as we reported yesterday, Chris, um, there is some, despite the fact that there are some calls being made uh, to inquire about his availability, we also know that some teams are wary of Verdugo, and we can all figure out why that is. It's the off-field stuff. It's the occasional lack of effort on the field. It's getting benched for not running hard between first and second in Cleveland last June. It's being benched the next night altogether. It's being publicly shamed for what appeared to be a late arrival at Fenway for an August game. So um, that, you know, his reputation precedes him at this point. People know that this is a guy who can be a little difficult at times 
and you couple that with just one year of control and it makes you wonder what kind of value is out there for him we've talked about this too but i see it in a couple different ways you know he has not been good enough to be in the eyes of some teams and this is not an opinion this is the facts from what we're hearing from people worth the difficulties and is this guy going to show up on time is he going to give his full effort you know alex spear of the boston globe you know wrote in at the end of july when he was really really slumping some rival evaluators said it's not that he's slumping he's completely checked out at the plate and not really you know like doesn't look like he's trying up there like teams don't want a guy like that and you know you never know exactly what's going on i know that verdugo referenced some personal stuff going on behind the scenes the hardest year of his life all that stuff and of course we hope everything's okay there but um teams are, are definitely wary of that i think the flip side and where the red sox might be able to cash in because as we all know it only takes one team to wow you or to uh make a, a sizable suitable offer i think the thing that they could be banking on is a team looking at this guy a team that might have liked him coming out of the draft that sees the tools that sees all the upside i mean look as much as we uh, talk about the downside of Verdugo here, this is still a guy with a lot of tools and a lot of upside who's still pretty young. Kenley Jansen told me in spring training, if that guy put it all together and stopped with kind of the antics and stuff like that, he would be a Hall of Famer. Obviously, hyperbole there probably a little bit, but just that's what the teammates think of him, and that's what you know people think of him as the ceiling being super high. Maybe a team looks at it and says, he's going to be more motivated than ever heading into a contract year. He's going to get us act together and, and we're going to be the ones to take that risk and take him on for this season. And maybe that's what does it. And, you know, even if, you know, you're not looking to sign him to a long-term deal, uh, a team with a need just for the next year could be interesting. One team that definitely has had interest in the past and could revisit it this winter has been a topic of discussion, not a uh, normal trade partner for the Red Sox, but the New York Yankees. Um, that was something that was discussed at the trade deadline, a deal the Red Sox probably should have done for Clark Schmidt back then. And now the rumors about Glaber Torres, Rob Bradford of WEI reporting yesterday, the Red Sox have had interest in Torres, talking a little bit about the possibilities of a Torres for Verdugo swap that would help both teams. Um, I have my thoughts, but Sean first, so I'm not droning on here. Just what do you think about that fit and that potential, those pieces going in the same type of move? Yeah, well, um, you're really talking about, in some ways, some pretty similar players. Obviously, different positions, different backgrounds, and all that. But you're talking about two guys who have largely underachieved at the big league level. Two guys that evaluators, uh, you know, rave about the talent and the ceiling that both have had, and yet neither has been able to reach it on a consistent basis. And maybe both are in need of a change of scenery and a little bit of shock to the system to produce that big year that everyone keeps expecting from both of them. Uh, the appeal of Torres is, is obvious for the Red Sox. He'd be a nice bridge at second base. If they think Nick York is going to be ready in 2025, um, then Torres would be uh, that bridge guy at second base. You, or Meyer. You, uh, right. Or, or, you know, or Trevor Story. Uh, moving back to second and Meyer playing short. There are a couple of scenarios there, but what's clear is the Red Sox need an upgrade at second base. Torres would provide that. And maybe both teams think a change of scenery, as I said, would benefit both guys. They're going to be motivated in their walk years. 
They'll want to have the best season they've had. And maybe that works out for both teams. It is rare, as you noted, uh, that the Yankees and Red Sox make deals. Uh, I noted in my weekend notebook today that, uh, you know, you can count on one hand the number of of trades those teams have made in the last 50 or so years. Um, But occasionally it lines up. And I think more than ever, there's this, and, and I think this is part of, a little bit of the younger new breed GMs, not that Brian Cashman necessarily fits that, but I think there's an attitude of, eh, we don't care about that stuff. We don't care that we're rivals. We don't care that there's a long history between the two. The question they ask, people like Craig Breslow are going to ask, does this trade make us better? If he thinks that having Glaber Torres is preferable to a year of Alex Verdugo, They'll make that trade, and Brian Cashman, from his vantage point, is undoubtedly thinking the same thing. And, you know, I think that, not to say the rivalry is is lessened because of these factors, but in an era where so many teams get in the playoffs, the balanced schedule, all that type of stuff, like, you know, you're not going up against the Yankees for the one playoff spot, the one avenue to get in, as you were 15, 20 years ago. And and I think that plays a role. My my two kind of bigger thoughts. And on you're that. not playing 19 times a year, and right. it's unlikely that either guy is going to get extended by his new team. So this is not some long-term consequence to deal with. It's a short-term fix for both clubs. And the kind of bi- two bigger picture thoughts I'd have on this, number one, uh, I don't think Verdugo is enough to get to Labor Torres. Like, Labor Torres had – a pretty good year last year, 800 OPS, 25 homers. Uh, he's making 15 million. To me, you get to throw in something if you're the Red Sox. Like, I don't think a one for one necessarily gets the job Maybe done. Not. I mean, it, it, but if you look at career war and war figures from last year, they're very similar. Um, you know, I, I think the Fangraph war um, had them, you know, within a couple of decimal points. It was like a 2 8 to a 2 6 or something last year. Um, so by some measurement and variable, they are very close. Maybe you have to sweeten it with an additional prospect. I don't think that would get in the way of a deal if they wanted to make it. And the bigger thing for me is, you know, the Red Sox are so obsessed with the idea of improving their infield defense and improving their defense all around. This is not the guy who's going to come in and do that. And that to me is the biggest thing, you know, like, after the year that they've had and the uh, the like the struggles they've had, I just don't know that it makes a lot of sense to have a guy who's been a butcher uh, up the middle. You know, especially considering you know they feel like Story really shorted up in the middle. That to me could be the the deciding factor. Especially you know Breslow has been on the record already that they're prioritizing defense there. And to me, if they are, then this doesn't seem like a perfect fit. Yeah, I mean Torres has proven that he's better at second than he is at short, but that's a low bar to clear. Uh, He was abysmal at short. Um, He's been merely bad at second, but you're right. Despite the offensive upgrade you'd be getting over any of the four candidates for playing time in the organization, uh, a case could be made that he's no better than Emmanuel Valdez defensively right now. Right. And that, to me, like, Again, I just think that that is one of those you're prioritizing defense. You know, maybe there's a guy like Merrifield or somebody else you can go get who is going to be an upgrade in that regard, and that uh, could could kind of hurt the chances of this trade. I do think there are people in the Red Sox organization that think moving Verdugo is addition by subtraction anyway. So, what and, if you can and get? And then there's the question of 
who, uh, you know, if they did that, would they have to go get a right fielder or would they feel comfortable with um, Will your Abreu playing full time in right field? That would seem to be asking a lot of a guy who's got about two months of service time in the big leagues. We know that right field at Fenway is a very demanding defensive position. Verdugo has played it well. He played it particularly well in 2023. Do they have the guy they could trust to put out there for 140 games, or would that require a trade or a free agent signing? And then you start asking yourself, are we really doing this just to get Glaber Torres for a year? Yeah, right. And that is, to me, another part of it that that I think they're going to work through. And, and look, the I think we've seen over time, with absolutely no offense to Rob Bradford, because we can definitely confirm that they've had talks. I mean, the Yankees and Red Sox have talked about Verdugo, and, and Torres definitely does fit the Red Sox in some ways. A lot of the rumors that we hear never come to fruition this time of year, and a lot of the deals that get done um, are things we've never heard of before. So I always – every rumor is with a grain of salt. I do think that there is a fit uh, there for, for both teams. Sean, did this week t- make you think uh, – and I know we touched on this a little bit the other day – that Justin Turner is definitely playing in a different uniform next week, next year? Yeah, I, I, I don't see how that works. Um, I, I think, you know, he was one of those one-and-done guys here. Uh, he was a terrific signing. He was worth what they paid him, even with the buyout. Um, you know, he contributed on and off the field. We saw that, but at least twice out in Scottsdale, Breslow made it clear that he would prefer some flexibility with the DH spot and not the standard, okay, you're going to be our DH for 140 plus games. Uh to me, that not only rules out Justin Turner, but it eliminates a return of J.D. Martinez. If that doesn't work out for the Dodgers, let's say the Dodgers sign Otani, as a lot of people believe they're going to. That takes care of the D.H. That means Martinez is out of a job there. But I don't see him coming back here because they would rather have some flexibility. Now, I could see a guy like Adam Duvall who might play 70, who might have 75 games at DH and play another 30 in the outfield and 20 at first base. But a guy, you know, as I noted the other day, Chris, I think six um, players in all of baseball started more than 100 games at DH last year. So the trend clearly in the industry is getting away from that, you know, David Ortiz, Edgar Martinez, Frank Thomas model. It's just a, it's just a more functional roster, period. Right, right. And uh, Turner is going to be 39 at the end of this month, uh, based on the year he had, uh, where he knocked in almost 100 runs and had an OPS of 800. That would have been a lot higher had he not played through a a very painful heel injury that clearly limited him in September. But he's probably going to want two years coming off the year he had. That's understandable. I don't see the Red Sox making that kind of commitment. In fact, I'm not sure they would do it even for one year because they want to be able to rotate and cycle guys through there. So you, at this point, completely eliminate the idea of him as the right-handed platoon partner at, at first base. Like, it's just, that's not going to happen at this point. I mean, he he was playing a lot there and playing second base before he got hurt. So um, I know it wasn't But not great. well. Right. Not well. Uh, and I, I think they see Casas as a guy that uh, is going to keep getting better. I think you and I believe that to be the case, not only defensively. I think he'll get better with the glove. But he's, you know, this is a guy who definitely has 
35 and 100 potential. And uh, while he may struggle occasionally against some lefties, and it would be nice to have somebody like Duval, uh, you know, take over 25 games there against really tough lefties, give Casas the occasional breather. Um, I, I think they see him as the everyday first baseman, and I think that's the way he should be seen. Yep, and and I agree with all that. Again, uh, kind of another one of the more telling things from Breslow and Scottsdale, just the uh, talking about you know how he envisions that DH role, and it'll be different than we've seen in Boston for a long time with, obviously, Ortiz and then J.D. Martinez and then Justin Turner. Next week, uh, just to give you a little preview, and we will get into this more on ooh, our first show of next week, Red Sox are going to have to make some roster decisions. They are going to have to add some prospects to the 40-man roster to protect them from the Rule 5 draft. That'll come on Tuesday. And Friday is the non-tender deadline where I think Luis Urias obviously is on the chopping block there, maybe Reese McGuire. So we will have plenty of coverage of all of that as the offseason heats up. We also want to tell people that we have a special guest lined up. We do not have an official day uh, and time yet, but uh, I will tell you that the topic is going to be ballparks. So that will be fun. A little bit of a deviation from our usual locking into Red Sox topics on occasion throughout the off season. We're going to have some special guests who will, you know, um, explore different areas of the game, and this is one of them. Um, this guest is known to a lot of people. There are some ties to the Red Sox and the topic again will be major league ballparks. We think you're going to find that fun. As Chris noted, we have the Fenway rundown insider text program that you can subscribe to. It's a way to stay up and be very current on all Red Sox news. You have the ability to text to Chris Smith, to Chris Cotillo and to me, ask questions, give us your opinion. Uh, and it's a fun little back and forth. Um, all you have to do is text the word join to 617-751-6257 and then click the link and subscribe today. There's a 14-day free trial period. After that, it's $4.99 a month. We humbly suggest that that is worth it. A lot of people are enjoying the uh, the feature and we hope you'll join us too. This has been the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live.